Okay, come on in and take your seat if you would. Any of you ever had a dream that when you wake up it stays with you? So that it feels real? Uh, I had a dream last night. And it awakened me at around 4 o'clock and I couldn't go back to sleep. That dream was basically that I was standing in front of you preaching and I couldn't remember my sermon. (laughs) It's true. And no matter what I did, I'd have the paper in front of me and I'd look at it and I still couldn't remember what I was trying to say. So that's kind of like the horror of a pastor who has to preach then that Sunday. And so that's stuck inside of me, but we're going to believe God for his help. Um, How many of you guys have a favorite movie? A movie that you like, that no matter how many times you've seen it, if you see it on your guide on your TV, you turn it back on again. Any of you? Uh, Mine would be a couple of movies. It would be um, Groundhog Day. Thank you, those of you that like Groundhog Day. Um, And my other one is Back to the Future. I'm sorry, those are just like, those are classic movies that are phenomenal movies. But in Back to the Future, one of the points that Doc Brown tries to make to Marty again and again and again is that when they would go back in time, they had to be careful not to change anything because it could have horrid implications for their future. And I find that so interesting because although we would watch that movie and we would say, okay, that kind of makes sense, we don't tend to think about the fact that what we do today can have implications for our futures. The things that we do now really can matter. We're wrapping up today a a small four-part series that we've done called Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. We started with the premise that it's usually not big, momentous changes that actually help our lives to move along. It's actually little things that we do repeatedly over and over again that actually make the biggest difference in our lives. And it all started with two scriptures for me. One was King David. When King David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever and behold His beauty. And the second scripture was from Paul, where Paul says, One thing I do, I forget everything that's behind and I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. And my question to you at the very beginning of the series is the same question I want to end with today. What is the one thing in your life that has laid hold of you? What's one thing that has gripped your life and changed you forever? In week one, we looked at the power of a word from God. One word from God can change everything about your life. Um, I don't know if it's true for you, but I know there was one word God spoke to me out of Ephesians chapter 1 that changed my life forever. I can still remember it. It was in July of 1977. I had already been saved for a while. Life wasn't going all that great for me. Uh, I went to Elam, which is the Bible college that some of you are. And uh, in my first two weeks at Elam, I got campus, which basically means for a college student, I got sent to my room and I couldn't do anything else just because I got in trouble. But it was in July of 1977 
that a man from the West Coast, God sent him from California to give me one word. One word. Out of Ephesians 1, God looked at my heart and he said, I chose you. I didn't feel chosen. I, I, for most of my life, I, I don't know if it was like this for you guys growing up, but in gym class you would divide and they, the coach, the, the gym teacher would always pick two people. That They would be like the captains. Says, you get to pick the team. So you pick first, then you, then you go back until everybody's picked. And your fear was to be the last one picked because what it really meant is you weren't chosen at all. You were the dredges that were left over and they were stuck with you. So I felt like God was stuck with me. But in July of 1977, God used Jack Hayford from California to come to New York State and speak a word to my heart that you are chosen. One word from God can change your whole life forever. In week two, we looked at the fact that the power of our thoughts, your life will go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Where's your energy going in terms of self-awareness? In week three, we looked at the power of our words towards other people and, yes, even towards ourselves. And we said we're either giving life-giving words or life-taking words. Today I want to kind of draw it all to a conclusion. In some ways, I felt like after Pastor John shared what he shared up front, I felt like I, I could just skip this whole thing and just take some time and just wait on the Lord. But I, I want to kind of build off of what he said, if I can. I want to talk to you today about the power of a habit. Or maybe a more spiritual way of saying that would be the power of a discipline. A discipline. And my thought for the day is simply this. We become what we repeatedly do. We become what we repeatedly do do. Um, how many of you would say today, and this is an all hands on deck thing, how many of you would say that you are a highly disciplined person? Would you raise your hand? Okay, we've got some. How many of you would say you're not quite so disciplined? Raise your hand. Okay, some, some of you are like half-hearted. Like, ah, no, 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 no. I would suggest that whether you put your hand up for question number one or question number two, the truth is you're all highly disciplined. The question is, are your disciplines good disciplines or not? What are the habits that you do with your life? We all have some disciplines because a discipline is nothing more than a routine that you do again and again and again. So what are the routines that you have established in your life? The problem is that all of us, though we might be disciplined, all of our disciplines are not always the best disciplines. For, for example, um, maybe you said that uh, you can't seem to get up in the morning to go do a workout, and you find yourself eating the wrong kinds of food, and you spend too much time in front of the TV. And you would say, I'm not a disciplined person, but the truth is you're very disciplined. You're disciplined at turning your alarm off, and sleeping in, you're disciplined at picking out on the wrong kind of food, and you're disciplined about being a couch potato. You're just disciplined with the wrong kinds of things. Discipline, and this is my definition for today, discipline is simply this. It's choosing between what we want now and what we really want or need most. It's choosing between what we want right now and what we really want or need the most. Um, 
Let me explain it this way. Let's pick on Nick and Liz because they're over there. I, I'm meeting with Nick and Liz, uh, and Nick says to me, Pastor Chris, I have a really good marriage. Don't know why. We've just fallen into it. It's just been like God gave us this great marriage. We didn't do anything for it. It's just this here. And I want to suggest to you that Nick would be mistaken. I think Nick very well might have a good marriage. But if he has a good marriage, there are some disciplines at work that cause that marriage to be good, whether you have thought about it or not. So, for example, maybe Nick and Liz actually eat dinner together. Do you know that's uncommon anymore? Do you know that statistically most people don't even eat together anymore? Or if they do eat, they're eating in front of the TV. But Nick and Liz, without even thinking about it, actually eat dinner together. And while they're eating, they put their phones down and they actually talk to each other. And maybe Nick and Liz actually go away at least once a year without the kids just to get away so that they can renew what was there from the very beginning. Uh, maybe they actually take some time and pray together. Or maybe they do what another friend of mine said is the reason for their happy marriage is that they actually never go to bed angry. So that Nick and Liz have a good marriage, but it's not by accident. They didn't just fall into it. There are routines or disciplines that are a part of it. Or, or maybe you would say, uh, we're doing really well, Pastor Chris, financially. We're doing really good. And if it's not just that you came into some sudden windfall, I believe there are probably some disciplines that you have that have caused you to do well financially. Like maybe you actually spend less than what you make. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Or, or maybe with that money that you don't spend, you actually save some money. Or maybe you actually are very generous. And I know you have to be generous if you actually are doing well financially because Proverbs says God gives to those who are of a generous heart. So no matter which way you go, there are disciplines at work in all of our lives. The question is, do you have good disciplines or bad disciplines? So for example, maybe at the beginning of 2021, you said, I'm getting rid of 2020. It was the year from hell and I'm going to start out better. I'm going to lose some weight, I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to get up early enough to do my devotions in the morning. And that was your goal. So on Friday, January 1st, you got up awfully early, much earlier than normal for you. You did your devotions, and then you actually did a workout. And all throughout the day, you were very careful about what you ate. The next day, Saturday, it's normally your day off and normally you sleep in, but you decided, no, I'm on a routine now. I'm going to get, you got up early, you worked out, you, you did your devotions, you were very careful again. But the next day, uh, that was on uh, Sunday. Sunday, God rests. So probably if God rests, we should rest. So you said, forget all of that. I'm not going to do it on Sunday. On Monday... Don't know what happened. I forgot to set the alarm last night. It could be something to do with the fact that I was binge watching um, Flip It or Flop It. And I forgot to set my alarm and I overslept. And God wouldn't want me to have a bad testimony about getting to work late, so I just had to skip it that day. 
And the next day, well, I went to bed. Everything was fine. I set my alarm, but I woke up with a shoulder. It just it hurt a little bit. And so I just, I, I better take it easy today. And the next day, and the next day, and before you know it, you've gone from Friday to Friday, and you had a lofty goal, but you've set disciplines that are not what you wanted at all. We all do it in some arena or another. Maybe for you it did have to do with eating. You wanted to eat more healthily, and so you started out being very careful to eat high in protein foods and eat salads, and you were very careful about it, but pretty soon you were supersizing Paula's donuts, and you just couldn't find yourself helping it. Or maybe it was that you decided that the best thing that you could do for you and for your family was to make sure you do your dishes every single day. When the day is done, you make sure that the counters are clear so that you can go to bed feeling good about life. But life happens and kids happen and pretty soon that's out the window. We all have some routines and if we're not careful, they're just wishes upon some far off star instead of something that actually makes a difference in our lives. One of the things that has encouraged me about this is that it seems to me, from my reading of the Scripture, that the Apostle Paul had a similar problem to us. He had a problem with knowing what he wanted to do, but being able to do it consistently was another matter. He says it this way in Romans chapter 7. He says, I find that all too often I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Does that sound familiar to some of you? I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. It's called having some disciplines confused in your life. I know that Paul is dealing with a bigger concept in Romans 7. He's dealing with sin and righteousness, but I would suggest to you that the principles are the same. Verse 20, Paul tells us there's something at work inside of us that makes having disciplines tough, and it's this verse, verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul's giving us a key to our lives. He says there's a principle at work inside of all of us. That principle is called our sin nature. And whether you like it or not, there is a predisposition to selfishness and to sin in the heart and life of every single one of us. Left to ourselves, we, we cannot do so well. Which is why we absolutely need, as Pastor John said, the help of the Holy Spirit. Our sin nature bends us towards what is wrong, towards what is easier, what is more convenient instead of what we really need in life. Paul puts it this way in Galatians. He says, the flesh wars against the Spirit. In the natural, we all have this disposition to do whatever's easiest for us. Whatever looks good, whatever feels good in the moment. John the Apostle in 1 John calls it the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. We all know that that apple is healthier for us. But that party-sized Lay's Chips potato chip bag is just calling us. So Paul, recognizing with desperation that this is a bigger issue than what he can do in his own, 
Paul says this in verse 21, or in verse 24 rather. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's saying, God, who can save me? Who's going to help me to become more disciplined, to do what you want me to do, to do what I know is best, not just what comes easiest to me? And it all starts right here. He wants to be disciplined by God. He wants to do what is right. But he finds that there's something at war inside of him that often will lead him down another road that's not as healthy and not as good. Who can help me overcome temptation? Who can help me to walk away from sin? Who can help me to be consistent? Who can help me to have the right disciplines? So Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin, this sin nature that's inside of us? And Paul answers it in the next verse. He says, I thank God it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer, pure and simple, is you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Years ago, back in the 1970s, Andre Crouch was a uh, uh, Christian musician, artist, and he wrote a song called Jesus is the Answer. Do you guys remember that? Jesus is the Answer. And I can remember as a young man thinking I was so smart. Because I can remember when it came out and people would start singing that. And I can remember being at Elam and people singing it. And I would usually speak up and say something really witty and smart like, that's all great and dandy, but what's the question? I thought I had hit something. But the truth is, having lived a few years longer now, I've come to the realization that it doesn't matter what the question is. Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for it all. He's the answer for the questions that you have about your life and about the disciplines or the routines or the habits that you have in your life. And basically what Andre Crouch was trying to tell us and what the Word of God teaches us is what I cannot do in my own, God can help me. God can help me. And God can help you. Some of you have been trying for years to change some routines in your life. Some habits that you have that aren't the healthiest habits. And you know it. Some of them are outright sin. Some are just are not healthy or good for you. And some of you have been trying for years to break it. I want to suggest to you that the issue is not exterior disciplines. The issue is not uh, uh, somehow trying to manage your sin. Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. He wants not sin management. He wants life transformation. He wants to see us change on the inside, which then changes the outward behavior. You're never going to be 100% self-disciplined. But Paul wasn't calling for self-discipline. Paul was calling for us to be disciplined by God's Spirit. To allow God to speak to us. When you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, which I hope that you have, when you ask God to be the Lord of your life, because again, if He is not Lord of your life, He's not your Lord. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if He's not the Lord of your life, and I, I know that a lot of people treat Jesus like He's a great accessory to their repertoire. Well, you know, I've got a lot of good things going for me, and on the side back here, just in case, I've got Jesus in my corner. No, Jesus is either the Lord of your life, which means He's in charge of your entire life, or He's not Lord of your life at all. But when Jesus is the Lord of your life, 
He actually comes in and takes residence inside of you. He lives in you. And you live in Him. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Jesus living in you can make all the difference. It's what Paul says in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live by faith, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died in vain. It's what Paul says in Philippians 2.13. It's God who works in you to will. The very will that you have to do it. It's because God puts something inside of you. It's God who works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. Paul takes it a step farther though, which is kind of where I, I want to bring this to today if I can. Paul in Corinthians writes to the Corinthians after an experience at Ephesus where he tried to reason with people. He tried to use logic. He tried to use the mind to bring them up on Mars Hill. But it didn't work. And he comes to Corinth and he says, I purpose to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. But when he's talking to the Corinthians, he starts talking about this race that is called the Isthmian race. It was the precursor of the Olympic race that we now know of. It's very similar, to the, very similar to the Olympics that we have today, where when you are one of the participants, you are representing your nation or your state or your city or your area, your people. So there's a lot of pressure, a lot of weight to it. And Paul talks about the Isthmian's races in 1 Corinthians 9.24. And he says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Paul uses a statement that any of those athletes would have known, they would have heard again and again. Because going up to the Isthmian race, you had 10 months of being together as one group of athletes where you all worked out together. And you would hear coaches and you would hear other athletes yelling it again and again, run to win. Run to win. And Paul is basically saying to us, no athlete who is disciplined runs just a place. They're not running for bronze. They're not running for silver. They're running for gold. And he says, those athletes ran for a crown that was perishable. The Isthmian race, prior to the Olympic race, the Isthmian race, if you won the race, you would get a, a crown that would be put, ahead, put up on your head and it was made of pine leaves. And that thing's going to dry up and it's going to die. And Paul says, we don't run for that kind of crown. We run for a crown that is imperishable. Everything that we do Everything that we do has to be with that crown in mind. And what is that crown? I want to suggest to you that that crown is the glory of God. Paul goes on to say this. He says, therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. He says, I run with purpose in every single step. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I'm not going tentatively. I'm not pretending about this. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest... When I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. 
everything that we do in life, everything that we say, ought to be done and said with the glory of God in mind. And my question to you this morning is, is that how you're living your life? Is every decision that you make have in mind God's glory? What is it that God wants? What is it that will bring God? What is it that will make God's name the most famous? Is that how you live your life? Paul is challenging them not to be self-disciplined, but to be spirit-disciplined. And when you begin to get this, your whole life begins to change. Because you're no longer living for yourself. Decisions you're making about jobs, about houses, about uh, things that you're doing, all of that stuff begins to be filtered down through the funnel of the glory of God. What's going to bring God the most glory? So when it comes time to make a purchase, I say no to this purchase, not just because I want to save my money so that I could retire with a little bit more comfort. I say no to this person purchase because I want to make sure that I am free from any debt so that whenever God calls me to do anything, I don't have to say no to him. I have a lot of friends who believe God had actually called them into ministry or into missions, and they had to say no because they were so indebted. So the, the reason why we say no is not just so that we can save money so that I could look at my bank account and say, wow, look at that. I say no so that I can be free to do whatever God calls me to do whenever he wants me to do it. I say no to looking at other women. I put blinders on my eyes. Not just so that my wife can feel a little bit more secure. Not just so that she can know that I love her, although those things are true. I do it because God's Word tells me that my relationship with my wife is like the relationship that Jesus has with the church. And I want to make sure no one ever looks at my relationship with my wife and says, is that really how Jesus feels about the church? So how you treat your spouse, how you're curt with her at times, or how you're controlling of him at times, all reflects back upon Jesus and God's glory. I say yes to my kids going to camp. My kids all did go to camp. But not just so that they could have fun and not just so that they could get away from the house for a week so I could get a rest. I sent them to camp because I wanted them to encounter the living God in a powerful way. And I wanted them to know that they were the generation that's going to usher in the next great move of God's Spirit. April called the kids up, and I don't know what she was thinking when she did that. I don't know what was in her heart, what she was sensing from the Lord. But as I'm in the back thinking about it, I'm thinking, God, all of these kids, these little kids, I'm believing that every one of them is going to touch something in God that I've never touched. They're going to experience something of God's heart like I've never known before, and that they will maybe, in kindness, allow me to get a taste of it. That God won't forget about me. But I believe that God's going to do something in these kids. That's why we send them to camp. Not just to get them away for a week. Not just so that they could do the zip line. We send them to camp so that they can encounter God. Everything in life needs to be about the glory of God. Discipline doesn't so much have to do with doing with or doing without something. Discipline has everything to do with living my life on purpose for the purpose of God. Everything that I do, I want it to surround Jesus. How I talk to people, how I interact with people, how I make decisions, what I purchase, what I don't purchase, I want it to be about the glory of God. That's what discipline is about. It's not just saying, I, I, I want to lose some weight. Maybe God does want you to lose some weight, but 
There's a reason for that that brings Him glory. I want to wake up every single day with the awareness that I'm in God and that He's in me. And I want to live my life that way. Do I live it perfectly? Absolutely not. There are days when if you were to look at my life, you'd say, what in the world's wrong with you? But there's other days that I wake up and I am so aware of His presence. I go to sleep aware of Him. I wake up aware of Him. And I want to walk through the day aware of Him. That's what discipline is about for me. Knowing that God who birthed this will in me is going to give me the strength to live it out. I want to draw to a close. And again, this is a message with no resolve. On purpose. On purpose. Because the only resolve is Jesus. It's you and Jesus. But I want to ask you a question. What do you truly want most in life? What do you want most in life? My hope, my prayer, is that it would be the glory of God. Whatever brings God glory, that's what I want. I want what I do with my life to be honoring to Him, to bring Him pleasure, to make an impact on the world around me for His sake. My second question is this. What do you need to do now that will ultimately bring that to pass? Don't just make it like a wish upon a star or you know, breaking the turkey's wishbone. Don't make it about that. What do you need to do now, by God's grace, that would begin to bring that to pass? Maybe for you, uh, maybe for you it's um, God spoke to you about getting your life in order and um, maybe it has to do with God saying, I want you to get your schedule in order. And so you thought, okay, as I prayed about that, I think that maybe what I need to do is I need to buy an app that's going to help me organize my life. But as you take some time and actually pray about it and ask God what would He want you to do in order for your life to be in order, He says, I want you to start getting up earlier. You say, yeah, but I like the idea of an app better. Because then I can either notice it on my phone or not notice it. And God says, no, if you want your life to be in order, start with getting up a little bit earlier. Or maybe for you, it's God spoke to you about your finances, and so you thought, well, what I'll do is I'll take Dave Ramsey's course, and I'll start following it assiduously. I'll make sure I'm following his system. But instead, God speaks to you about tithing on the gross and not the net. And you say, but Pastor Chris, that's just so legalistic. Maybe God's not saying that to you, but if he is, would you heed his voice? Maybe it's not legalism at all. Maybe God, like with the rich young rulers, trying to get at something in your heart. After all, if you're going to follow Jesus, do you have to get rid of everything that you own? But isn't that what he said to the rich young ruler? Take all that you have, sell it, and give to the poor. Why? Not because you have to get rid of everything, but because God knew there was something at the heart of that man. And maybe God's trying to get at something at your heart. Or, or maybe you've thought your problem is I need to lose a little bit of weight. You're a little more practical. So what I need to do is I need God's strength to diet. I, I need to be more careful about it. I need to eat whole foods. Uh, I, I need to get my life in order in that way. And uh, that sounds all fine until God speaks to you and says, no, what I would rather you do is actually start making more significant relational connections and invite them over and have a meal together. 
And if you actually have a meal surrounding relationship, you'll start to find that your weight will take care of itself. You're no longer eating just to fill the void that's in your soul. It's already being met with the relationships that God gives you. See, the issue isn't just having better habits, better routines, or better systems. The issue is the glory of God. In week one, we looked at the importance of a word from God. What is the word that God has spoken to you? The word God spoke to me was chosen. I chose you. I picked you. It wasn't a mistake. Knowing everything about me, he still chose me. Week two, our thoughts matter. Our thoughts will always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives will move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What is it that you spend your time thinking about? Are you a worrier, a fretter? Are you a micromanager? What do you spend your time thinking about? Week three, if we want to change our life, we have to change the words we speak because our words are either life-giving or life-taking words. And then today, by the power of Christ, will we choose what we really want most, which is God's glory, God's presence? Will we choose to be spirit-disciplined and not just set up a new Ten Commandments for ourselves. That's what it really comes down to. Making choices about your life that will honor God. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads and just take a moment and you evaluate your life. Are you living your life for the glory of God? Or do you excuse what you do, how you act, how you comport yourself, how you speak, by saying, well, God understands and he loves me anyways. This isn't about God loving you. It's about you loving God. Is his heart and what he has purposed for your life preeminent for you? That everything you say, everything you do, how you think, you want to do it for the glory of God. Father Paul tells us we can't do this on our own. If we try, we are the most wretched of all men. But thank God we have a Savior. We're grateful, Father that you're not only on our side, but you're dwelling within us. You're living within us. And we can, every one of us, Father, every single one of us who are born again by the Spirit of God can hear your voice in the inner recesses of our hearts. And we can know that which would bring you pleasure. So Lord, I ask you to do that in the name of Christ, that you would make your pleasure known in our hearts and that you would give us the grace and the strength to live it out day by day. That we would be constantly aware of your glory. That we want to represent you well by our lives and by how we live. By how we relate to one another within our families, within the church, and within the communities and workplaces around us. 
receive glory from our lives. That's our cry. That's what we want most, Father. And we know we can't do it on our own, but we do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Go live for him.